From Beacon Point Advisors, I'm Michael Dow. This is Markets in Motion, a regular update on the economy and investing. Inflation makes a comeback. Is it durable or transitory? And what does it mean for investing? It's Thursday, June 10th, 2021. So it looks like the inflation genie is out of the bottle. Uh, today, the BLS reported the May CPI numbers, which showed a 5% year-on-year increase on top of the 4.2% headline number we got in April. It's the highest since August of 2008. So just that fact alone, the fact that it's been 13 years since we've seen inflation this high, is going to cause um, some market participants to pause and reflect on a couple of very important things, the the most important of which is, does this cause the Federal Reserve to reevaluate its accommodative monetary policy? If the thesis that we have been promoting here at Beacon Point is correct, that monetary policy has been a one of the main drivers, along with uh, vaccine developments and fiscal stimulus, uh, a driver of the economy, first to get us out of the nosedive that we were in in the COVID recession that lasted about a cup of coffee for the second second quarter of last year, 2020, to now what appears to be a, a white-hot economy where double-digit GDP growth for the third quarter seems, uh, or second quarter, seems reasonable, and uh, very high um, GDP like six, six and a half, maybe even seven percent for the full year in 2021 seems achievable. These, this is a big question. That is, if monetary policy uh, needs to be reevaluated, given these inflation numbers, then um, then that has implications for risk assets that have done incredibly well in the last 12 months. Let's take a step back. Recall that the Federal Reserve has a dual mandate. The dual mandate is to maximize employment and stable prices. Historically, that's meant when the unemployment rate has gotten to the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, the NARU, which is estimated to be about 4.5%, the Fed would, uh, would preemptively raise the federal funds rate or raise interest rates in order to cool the economy off, the practical implication of cooling the economy means throwing it into a recession and hence throwing people out of work. So there's some tension between the unemployment rate or the employment mandate of the Federal Reserve and its desire to maintain stable prices, which is presumed to mean lower lower, uh, lower prices or prices that are hovering around the Fed's officially stated target rate, which is two two uh, percent. Now, um, lots has happened recently with this two percent number. Specifically, the two percent used to be a trigger, but then we had this um, year and a half long period where the Federal Reserve was reevaluating its framework for a very simple reason. They've been completely unsuccessful, wildly unsuccessful in achieving a 2% inflation rate. It was hovering at 1.6 to 1.7% for the longest time, for almost a decade. Certainly for the last five years, it's it's averaged about 1.7%. The Fed's preferred inflation measures, the pri- uh, personal consumption expenditure core, PCE core deflator, that index has not even come close or, or to 2%, um, let alone um, spend any time above 2% for a long time. So the Fed has gotten in its 
is, is reevaluated and reevaluated in 2018 and 2019 what it was doing in an attempt to get inflation expectations not to go any lower. And the result of all of that was average inflation targeting, which was announced by Jay Powell at the uh, Jackson Hole conference last August, August 27th. Um, the, which was a turning point in the history of, of Federal Reserve policy. The turning point is that since October of 1979, the Fed has been focused on fighting inflation, when in fact, average inflation targeting is an acknowledgment that inflation wasn't a problem, isn't a problem, and hasn't been a problem. This goes back to last summer. And that, in fact, deflation was the biggest risk. And the Fed has pretty clearly articulated that having a buffer between their target and and deflation, which is inflation below zero, disinflation is just lower levels of inflation. But deflation is actual price declines. Price declines are are bad for the economy. They they are indicative of a unhealthy, typically an unhealthy economy or a highly productive economy, which would be a healthy economy. But generally speaking, with the um, uh, with inflation rates that are closer to zero, the Fed has fewer degrees of freedom or tools in which to to reflate the economy. And if you think about why deflation is bad for the economy, it's as simple as this. If you think you can buy a refrigerator six months from now for 2 to 3% less than you can pay for it now, you might put off that purchase. And as a result, economic activity comes to a halt when you, when you have a deflationary environment or when deflation is expected. Well, that's the whole genesis behind average inflation targeting. The Fed wants to anchor inflation expectations closer to 2%. So instead of a 2% target, now the Fed is going to let inflation run hot. And this is something we've been talking about a lot since, um, well, for the last year and a half or so, but it became codified in the Fed's framework uh, on August 27th of last year, 2020. So what does it mean? It means that instead of 2% trigger going forward, the Fed is going to allow inflation to run somewhat above 2% for a period of time. This is a huge shift in their thinking, and, and it reflects the fact that there's a broader mandate. The broader mandate, which includes the employment situation, uh, is, is taking precedence over the inflation or, 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 or price stability. So the Fed is going to allow the unemployment rate to, to go lower in order to be more to broaden out the benefits of, of, of increasing employment and, and to be, make employment to ensure that employment is, is not just broadly adopted, but that the employment is more inclusive, and hence we have um, a more durable, potentially a more durable uh, economic recovery before they're going to react by increasing uh, interest rates to, to, uh, to reduce the, the potential overheating in the economy that typically arises when the unemployment rate gets low. Okay, so why would the Fed then be considering raising interest rates if they're, they've adopted this new framework of average inflation targeting? And the answer is, well, because the print we got today was at 5%, and the average inflation for the last five years is just, on average, about 1.7%. So you don't have to have too many months of inflation averaging 5% to get to a 2% average if the last 36 months are at 1.7. You could do the math on that one. But the idea is, that's a pretty big print. It's a very high number. It's, it's the result of a number of different things. And that and therein lies the, what I want to talk about for the rest of the podcast, which is the Fed doesn't care if the 5% is transitory. The Fed only cares if higher inflation is going to be embedded in the economy going forward. And, and we're not going to come to any conclusions today on, here on June 10th. We're going to be talking about inflation, I think, for, for several uh, months and quarters to come. And in fact, we're going to be writing a paper 
that might explain better our thinking on this topic, which can go into greater detail than we can in a 15-minute podcast. But the idea that um, the most important thing to know is the Fed only cares about inflation that's persistent and durable. They are going to look through any transitory inflation and, and not adjust policy and not modify policy, which is another way of saying they're not going to raise interest rates if they think it's transitory, but they will raise interest rates um, when it becomes apparent and more likely and maybe even certain that the inflation environment that we're seeing is, is, is more persistent uh, than, a, than they're previously saying and, and talking about now. Every, every, every phrase that comes out of the Federal, Federal Reserve officials' mouths now includes the words transitory inflation because it's in their best interest to keep the market um, thinking that they're not going to adjust monetary policy just yet. They will if they have to, but there's no proof. There's some evidence to suggest that the, the inflation environment might be might be uh, different and might have more durable aspects to it than historically. But right now, uh, there's evidence to suggest that a lot of what we're seeing in terms of the inflation numbers is, is, is rather transitory and directly related to the reopening trade. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's no more, it's a simple mathematics. The reopening trade, I think, is the driving force behind the, the large inflation prints we've seen in the last two months because the surge in inflation is partly due to the fact that the prints we saw in April and May of 2020, a year ago, were so low. And then the year-on-year numbers that we're seeing, of course, compares May of last year to May of this year, or through April. And that number uh, is going to be tremendously influenced by how low the inflation was during the months of April and May and June of last year. So the base effect is 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 dominating right now, among other things. But the base effect is a huge part of why we're seeing such incredibly large inflation prints. And the Fed will believe that that is transitory as we start to get more normalized, as we see more normalized inflation prints in the second half of 2020, the base effect subsides. That's a transitory in influence, and it's one of the reopening uh, influences that is causing inflation to be to be so high. The other thing that we want to take a look at is what are the components of the CPI uh, that are are causing the 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 high uh, the five percent print that we we saw, and which of those components of CPI are viewed as being part of the reopening trade and hence potentially transitory, and which are seem to be more durable. One of the big ones is energy prices, and it's because folks are are trying to get out and 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 go on vacation and hence transportation or particularly fuel prices have, have spiked higher. So you're seeing gas prices increasing and contributing to CPI, but one of the bigger increases came from uh, food away from home. So as restaurants reopen, we're seeing increases in the in the price of the restaurant bill because of higher demand. And also airline fares was a huge contributor to uh, to the to the May CPI number up 24 percent, so airline fares are up you know up up a quarter from where they were a year ago, and again that's just clearly part of the reopening trade and something that will um, likely adjust as supply and demand factors become more aligned. That, that's a key point, by the way. Um, there's a couple of different kinds of inflation which we're going to again go into detail in the paper we're putting together. 
there's a um, cost push infl inflation and demand pull. Cost push inflation is the result of supply chain disruptions and uh, without an increase in aggregate demand, whereas demand pull inflation is, um, is a result of an increase in aggregate demand that shifts the aggregate demand curve or moves along the aggregate demand curve on a, um, on a relatively stable aggregate supply curve, which pushes prices up. So. Uh, cost push inflation is less concerning to the Fed. It tends to be more transitory, whereas demand pull inflation tends to find its way into wages. And once it gets into wages, then it becomes uh, more more permanent. And that's just a Keynesian thing that nominal wages are very sticky. So once you raise a person's wage because they're demanding higher wages, because they're uh, it's hard to it's hard to reverse that. So the key point here is, are we seeing demand pull uh, or cost push inflation? Right now, uh, excuse me, cost push or demand pull, pull inflation. If it's cost push inflation, then we don't have a lot of concerns. If it's demand pull and finds its way into wages, then we might have, uh, the Fed might have to take a real hard look at what, what they're doing in terms of accommodating a monetary policy and, and reducing it, and reducing that accommodation. And let's be clear, that's the big risk. The risk to the markets, the risk to the equity market, is that they no longer have one of the pillars of support, which has been so important in, in getting the economy and the equity market to recover from the lows of March of 2020, now 14 months on, uh, you're talking about um, you know a pretty a pretty substantial recovery like like one we've we've never seen before, and those numbers um, uh, are likely to get dented should the Fed remove the policy accommodation or at least start talking about tapering asset purchase purchases, which would be the first step, and then raising interest rates, which would follow. So we're not making any strong statements right now. Um, it's going to be another couple of months before we can determine whether or not this is a, an issue that the Fed is going to have to take up more more directly. Um, they're likely to talk about it at the next FOMC meeting, which is June 16th, so next week. And we'll get the um, the meeting minutes from that meeting three weeks on. And, and it will be very interesting to see what is the discussion points that uh, the various members of the FOMC or Federal Open Market Committee, the rate-setting body at the Fed, what they're focusing on. Um, it was only a year ago that Jay Powell said they're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. Well, pretty sure with the two inflation uh, numbers in the, in the CPI data series that we've seen in the last two months, that they're starting to think about thinking about it for sure. But we don't expect an, a Fed funds rate hike until 2022, probably the second half of 2022. But we do expect that the Fed may begin thinking about tapering their um, $120 billion worth of monthly asset purchases. And that would, uh, that would be an effective uh, tightening of monetary policy in the current environment, or at least it would be perceived by the markets to be a tightening. And that's where you get into um, um, the potential for a pullback in the equity market. And I want to just make sure everyone understands, we expect a pullback in the equity market. We don't know when, but it's inevitable that the market will go down 10 or 15 or maybe 20 percent sometime in the next you know, one or two years, maybe three years. Um, probably sooner than three years, but because we always do get a 10 or 15 percent pullback. It's something that happens with uh, surprising regularity, but as investors, we tend to uh, tend to forget about it, except when it's happening, and then we tend to ascribe a great deal of importance to it, when in fact it's not that important. 
it's not that important. You're going to get pullbacks in the equity market, especially an equity market that has done as well as this one has in the last 14 or 15 months. So uh, hang on. Don't. Uh, uh, the game plan remains exactly the same, and that is you've got a plan. Stick with the plan. Your asset allocation is appropriate. Here at Beacon Point, we're doing things that will address the potential for um, slightly uh, increased volatility by allocating to hedged equity. We're looking at inflation protection and inflation hedging, and, and we put on uh, certain strategies uh, and recommended strategies starting, frankly, last September, where we suggested clients add to gold uh, infrastructure, global infrastructure, and global natural resources, in addition to the natural hedges that typically arise from owning real estate, and uh, tips. Uh, a portion of fixed income should be in tips. Fixed income is is a challenging area for, for clients now because of all the things we've talked about on these podcasts and other areas um, and other sources where financial repression is the is the operating uh, principle of the day. Financial repression means very low nominal interest rates, and with the higher inflation, you're getting negative real interest rates, and negative real interest rates are, of course, purchasing power destructive. So fixed income is very challenged right now. So having some inflation hedging in the portfolio, which is one of the things that we've been um, talking to clients about, uh, having tips on the fixed income side, having higher yielding fixed income, all of that remains um, part of our game plan going forward. But the most important thing to remember is when we do get the inevitable pullback because of whether it's because this inflation becomes a little less transitory and a little more durable and the Fed actually starts talking about tightening or for some other reason, um, the key is to um, just uh, know that this is inevitable. It's part of the process. It's part of the cycle of the marketplace and that um, it's likely the Fed will respond by reversing any uh, rhetoric or or any tightening of policy with with additional. They'll try to talk it down, talk the market back up again, talk down talk of uh, of tightening, and then we'll be uh, we'll be back on to uh, uh, where we should be. And where we should be is having fundamentals drive uh, asset price returns going forward. Hopefully, the Fed can bridge the gap between here and there, and that it won't. Uh, cause there won't be too much damage between here and there, but we should expect that there will be some increasing volatility, and some of that volatility is going to be to the downside. So, where do we? Um, where does that leave us? So, again, inflation is high right now. The Fed's question is: Is it transitory or is it permanent? If it's transitory, they'll look through it, and we'll be likely to continue to see some um, positive results in equity or risk markets. As the economy continues to recover, if, if if we do overheat here in the economy and and there is a more persistent uh, inflation impulse, then the Fed's going to have to respond to it. And when the Fed responds to it, it's likely to be um, bad for risk assets in the stock market. Having said that, again, if we're looking at the long term. We understand the Fed is there to. Um, Catch us when when the market falls. So even if it even if there's a temporary downturn, they're not going to abandon the markets to ordinary fundamental forces uh, and withdraw completely. That would be uh, a way of saying, well, they're 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 going to throw in the towel on all the good work that they've done for the last 16 or 17 months because of a hiccup in the market. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll continue to be there to provide some cushioning to the markets, and that the Fed will have the wherewithal and the will and the desire and, and um, 
uh, to continue to support markets with accommodative monetary policy, even if they're trying to, re- to, to go the other way. There will be a self-correcting mechanism. That is, if the stock market drops 10 or 15 or 20 percent and the Fed has to step in and become more accommodative, then inflation, by almost by definition, is likely to, to come down to reflect that. And that's it for today's podcast. We'll be back soon with another one of our regular updates on markets and investing. I'm Michael Dow, Beacon Point Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for listening.